Generational wealth to me is the transfer, is the pure transfer of information, of knowledge, I should say of knowledge um, through your bloodline. If you're able to have one talent or if you have something and you were able to multiply that throughout your lifetime, it's important, it's imperative for generational wealth to work that you have a system to communicate that to your network, your family, so that that can be preserved. Entrepreneurship for black culture specifically is an option that can yield the highest generational wealth, but has no safety. Welcome to the Wealth Blueprint. I know you guys thought I was going to say something else because that's what you're used to. But this is a collaborative series where we're looking at how wealth is developed by people that look like us. These conversations are for everybody, but we're focusing on those that resemble what you see. <laughs> so this is a collaborative effort between the DSI Network and Wealth Building Made Simple. Salute to my other hosts to the co-host, the collaborator, to the partner, Philip Washington Jr. Please say to Jr. How you feeling, my brother? I'm good, D. How about you? Everything is great, man. I'm gl glad we're doing this because this is something that I feel like uh, in off-camera conversations with me and you, definitely some of our guests, uh, since we, we're going to know a lot of our guests, this is just the conversation that we're having. So I was like, it'll be really cool to, and, 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 and we both were talking about it all the time and so the idea when we came together and was like let's do it together you know uh I, I was in alignment with 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 the idea so i'm glad i'm glad we brainstormed together and and uh you know created it yeah so it's philip is a wealth of knowledge you'll get that throughout um this episode and episodes to come um thank you for not charging me for those conversations <laughs> i appreciate that he is we can say you're officially a wealth manager correct yes, we can sir. say that on this podcast on this show um the conversation between us is great and you guys, uh, you, you know, it'd be a blessing to you, but it's always better when we add one more perspective. Today, right out the gate, we got the good brother, Matt Houston. Welcome to the show. How are you? Hey, what's up, man? I'm, I'm excited to be here, Philip. It's great to see you. Um, it's great to see two brothers doing um, and communicating um, through through platforms to, to build our community. So this is great to, to be a part of, and I, I'm excited for our conversation. Yeah, man. Glad to have you on the show. So uh, first guest, no pressure, all the pressure. <laughs> <laughs> it's all good. You, you set the tone. Good deal. Cool, cool, cool. So tell us a little bit about yourself. I know um, your, your, we'll have your bio link below because it is impressive and um, it'll probably take three or four minutes to get through <laughs> the condensed version, but how do you present yourself to people? Man, I'm just a guy born and raised, currently reside in Oak Cliff. Mm. It's a part, portion of Dallas in Southern Dallas. Originally, um, it was one of the top 30 cities in the nation. Um, before annexation, as you can tell, I'm a historian at heart too. Um, I love context. I love knowing the history um, so that we can create um, better decisions in the present to make better future. And so being, uh, being an entrepreneur, um, being a father, being a professor, um, all of that aligns with uh, my passions, which is economic development, leadership, and education development for people all over the world. 
economic development, the, the economic word scares me because that was that was my strongest C in college. That's real. <laughs> well, you know what? People, people, and I didn't mean to cut you off, but it's all about the professor or the approach of, of economics in school. I hated economics in high school, um, but then fell in love with it in college. And, and, and it's all about knowing, one, its role in our current society. Uh, particularly in capitalism, and two, understanding the different barriers or different entry points that you can take um, and the approach. And so I understand that. That's why I'm a professor now so that I can tell people, no, nah, man, you need to know this. No, nah, you got this. It's just a different language. You know, it's random. Timothy Strudel. I still remember him. He was my econ one and two professor. He was he was like, like a musician, had long hair, you know, white guy, but he, you could tell he like genuinely love economics so yeah when you said it i was like i do remember timothy Trudeau. i liked him a lot like he he probably influenced me a lot in loving economics no but i remember my my econ professor he walked in it was microeconomics at smu he walked in and he made an assessment first lecture he said i donate all of my smu salary to charity because i don't need it i'm former vice president of a federal bank I'm an entrepreneur, um, and I've used economics to build wealth so that I can be free and make decisions. Mm. And that stuck. I didn't worry about supply supply and demand bars, all the mon monopoly. I, that was all very confusing. But when he said I was free, that turned on a light. And, and it changed my perspective. So people just need to understand where that switch is because it's applicable because it's all over. Mm -hmm. Man, so there, there, uh, there's so much to get into. Before we jump down the path of, of who you are today, let's start with uh, who you were. What's your origin story? Where were you, where you from? What was the family dynamics, the household dynamics growing up? I'm the youngest. I'm the youngest of three. Um, I was, they, they called me the caboose. Um, because I was definitely the blessing to to the family. Uh, my sister um, is 10 years older than I am, and my brother, um, God rest his soul, was 15 years older. Um, and so it was definitely, I was definitely the oops baby, yeah. right? Um, but in that, um, that, that put me in a space to really observe and, 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 and kind of be nurtured in an environment that typically is very hostile. Um, in Oak Cliff in Southern Dallas. Um, we lived in, though we lived um, in a middle-class working um, environment, societal um, society or societal policies didn't afford the upward mobility um, that was warranted based on the qualifications of the adults in that community. My father um, and my mom, both products of segregation, segregated high schools. They met in, at Prairie View um, and, and fell in love. They got married in the late 60s. They moved to New York. He became a corporate banker uh, for Chase, Chase Bank, um, and, but wanted to move back home. I wanted to get, be closer to Texas. So, but you can have a corporate banking job in the late 60s, early 70s in the state of Texas due to policies um, that, that prohibited that, um, that people are still fighting to preserve to this day, right? And so um, long story short, um, there was a lawsuit that happened, an integration lawsuit that, that required um, diversity in spaces. 
My father was qualified. He not only um, received his mathematics and economics degree, um, but he was also a, a, an officer in the U.S. Army. Um, and then um, went to grad school at NYU um, while he was a banker. So he had the skill set um, and he was a qualified person and, and, and brought several key um, businesses to Dallas in the Southwest region as mm. a commercial lender. Um, after that, he became an entrepreneur. Um, he started a pallet company um, in the late 70s, uh, in which every my brother and my sister both worked there. Mm -hmm. um, my dad owned a gas station off of Keystone Polk. Uh, it, it's not the 7-Eleven, well, if y'all are from Dallas, it's not the 7-Eleven that wasn't built yet, but there was a, a little gas station right off that corner. Wow. Um, my dad owned that gas station. My brother and my, my brother would pump gas. My mom would be working the counter um, and my sisters just be running around. Um, there are OGs in the community that still um, bring those, uh, those memories up. And so I just observed all of that philosophy of, of building community. Um, but uh, excelling and then investing at the same time. Gotcha. And so that carved my philosophy, that carved my mindset going to middle school, going to high school at Townview Magnet Center. Um, and then uh, fortunately I was afforded a scholarship to attend Southern Methodist University uh, in which I received a degree in economics. There I, I met with a, a brother by the name of Carl Dorval. Um, he had a vision to start a tutoring company uh, to reinvest in the lives of young people to close the academic gap, not just for people of color, but also socioeconomic. We worked in rural, rural cities, uh, rural places as well. Um, so that they can have the enough grades, enough scores uh, to go to SMU and see, oh, this economic ecosystem can benefit me and my family if we plug in the right space. Um, and so Group Excellence was formed in 20, 2004, and then uh, the rest is history. You seem to speak very highly of your father. Mm. What was that relationship like? Yeah, my pops was, uh, he was what one, I was very fortunate to have him. Um, not only as a father, um, but also in that season, right? I fully acknowledge uh, with me being in a space when my father was 44 when he had me, 42 when he had me. He went through a lot of his professional challenges through corporate America um, when my brother and my sister were growing up um, and where he wasn't at home. He didn't have the quality. He didn't have the balance, right? Um he was a bit more established professionally um, when I was when I was when he was rearing me, and so I was able to see him, and I was able to um, benefit from the good works he's done. Um, and you know, uh, he's still human, right? Um, but I was able to have enough positive experiences um, to 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 model after. Dope, so. dope. Mm. Shouts yes. out to Tom Houston. Yes, sir. Um, so. This is this is a big reason why I'm glad we're having a conversation with you because generational wealth is encoded in your in your DNA, literally. You know, just the thought process, the mindset. So, but for the podcast, how would you define generational wealth and what significance does it hold for you personally? And there's no like you just define that however you want to define it. Well, broad, abstractly, mm -hmm. generational wealth to me, is the transfer, is the pure transfer of information 
of knowledge, I should say, of knowledge um, through your bloodline so that you can be the best equipped in whatever society has your way. Hmm. And through economics, um, uh, if you are in the position, and we'll take the, the biblical story of the three servants and the talents, right? If you're able to have one talent or if you have something and you were able to multiply that throughout your lifetime, it's important, it's imperative for generational wealth to work that you have a system to communicate that to your network, your family, so that that can be preserved. In education, um, a lot of us see this in, in, our, in, in our culture um, when the minister can transfer the skill sets and talents to the family that, that keeps the ministry alive, right? Or as we see in currently um, in athletics, I'm um, in professional sports, you're starting to see the second generation right. of children. Um, that's all a transfer of knowledge from generation to generation to be able to maneuver how you can um, project and enhance your enhance the future of your of your bloodline. And, and this is a curve uh, a follow up question from that because you said you said something that's interesting. How, how much do you think that knowledge transfer is? Uh, I call it. I kind I kind of bifurcate things into like conscious actions and words, or just vibrational absorption for lack of better words meaning like just picking up the essence of who they are and then it and, it and it coming out of you and you're like i didn't even know that was in there so my lens is as a, a descendant of slaves we couldn't use words to transfer so we us being spiritual beings we used other forms in order to make that transfer so when i heard that question I have a lens of society essentially put one hand behind our backs because you should actually do both. You should be able to verbally articulate that transfer and it should be in a safe environment in which you don't have the fear of having something outside of your control or something that's not fair to wipe it out. Mm. And me knowing my family, me knowing at least several generations of my heritage. I don't know as much as I need to, but I do know enough that there were deliberate acts that forced us to find alternative means to transfer that. And that comes with plus positive and negative consequences. The reason why I say it that way is because people in our current society tend to other the vibration piece mm -hmm. And that's actually the core essence. Mm -hmm. And that's a foundational piece that should be continuously built on. Mm -hmm. And But we don't do that because if that happens, that impacts um, how society can view us or our, our potential. But that's that's yeah. another story for another time. And, 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 I, and, I, and I'll follow up for clarification for the listeners. I guess a good translation for vibrational might be like example. Right. Oh yeah. Okay. Great. Yeah, so yeah. Yeah. So I, I was going too deep with it. Yeah. No. But but but, but Actions, I mean. But I I, I was right? following you too. Yeah. I was following you. Yeah. It, but I I look at you and I just see so much of your, because you know we knew we knew each other when you know we was in our twenties. Right. Exactly. And, and I and, and it was so much of 
the way you describe your father that just comes out of you that he couldn't have, he couldn't have verbally told you no he didn't that. have the he didn't have the time yeah right there that's why it's important to have both mm-hmm. because that builds and that creates generational wealth yeah unfortunately we're set up and my my lens also um I, in my whenever I'm not working. I was advoc- I'm advocating for black businesses. So I was a board. I am a current board member of the Dallas Black Chamber of Commerce. I serve as chair of the Texas Association of African American Chambers of Commerce now, um, in which we're celebrating 35 years, um, and, and we have a conference in, in Austin. Shameless plug. But <laughs> I, I say all of that. That's just my lens, um, and that's a lens that, for better or for worse. Uh, needs to be addressed and that's kind of colors every bit of answer and that's kind of what I teach because I think that's the missing link um, in our culture. I want to go back to something that you said about um, understanding several generations of your family. Mm -hmm. As you were growing up, was that something intentionally taught and deliberate or did you realize when you were older, hey, I have this information about my family because I honestly can't point out I probably wouldn't know 80% of my dad's side of the family they live next door. So on the street or or, or whatever, but was it was it intentional and talked about or you just something nah, you just kind of it's, clean? It would be too boring if you talk about yeah. it, right? To to kids with with but I don't small, know. <laughs> no, 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 I agree. Uh, I, I wish the question the answer of my I would I would love for it to be. Um, it was more action oriented, right? And so I want to give you an, an, another data point because it's important in the story. My dad doesn't know his father's side, right? And so his father and uh, my grandmother divorced when he was two. Okay. And so I don't know the Houston side. I know my maternal grandmother's side, the Rick's side, who owns property in the small town um, of Taylor, Texas, in which we still have those properties in our names. Um, But you're absolutely right. That that was part of his motivation. He wanted to be a doer and not a talker in that space. And so what he did was he he orchestrated communal events with our family. So our family vacations were driving to Taylor or driving to San Antonio every Thanksgiving um, for family dinners. And through that time, the three-hour to four-hour drive, there would just be nuggets dropped. Mm. And, and it's just abiding in the space, right? And, and that's, that's a very important principle in building wealth and something that is um, that our culture is 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 it's some hindrance in our culture because we have a lot we are so constructed we're constructed in time we not we don't have the time to to spend time with family mm-hmm. um and so we don't have that time of abidingness so he kind of orchestrated those times those 4 hour drives instead of us flying and spending extra money uh we were driving right or he was heads of conferences or conventions i thought these were family vacations in different cities <laughs> now we were working right he was working during the day and he happened to have us tag along um but it created kind of a dual experience that that allowed me to see the direction I needed to go without it being a, a manual, 
right? Because I'm not, I wasn't that type of learner. I'm not that type of learner now. What are some experiences that have shaped that have shaped your life around how you're setting up? Uh, you, you know how you're t- taking the baton and setting up your life, right? Because you have a 18 month old son, married for a few years, right? So now you're 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 on that journey, and and you've been an entrepreneur for a while, but now it's saying, right, the leadership co-leadership role of saying let's let's create a new culture for this version of the Houstons right so you know what are some of your experience that shaped that and what are some things you're doing well one experience that I can that I shared with my father before he passed uh, that was kind of defining uh, was a conversation I had after graduation I graduated graduated from SMU uh, in May of 2006 and our commencement speaker um, was uh, Ross Perot Jr. Uh, was a commencement speaker, and he said something um, there that that resonated with me about family and generational wealth. He said that his dad wrote a 64-page pamphlet on how to be a successful person. Hmm. And so I, I, I shared that with my... The first thing, my father noticed that. And we had dinner afterwards, you know, after all of the celebration. And he mentioned that. He said, man, I wish I can have the luxury to create a 64-page pamphlet so I can give to you to be successful. Meaning, look, son, you're not a Perot. Know your place. But also realize that you need to be able to create systems. And what I've tried to do in my own way, the vibrations, if you will, is that path. Please listen to it. Please learn it, and don't disrespect it. Right, and so I learned that that was that was a very that was a definitive moment. Um, I mean, of course, I was 21, 22 years old. I'm not applying that to fatherhood at this time, but I remember thinking, I'm going to need this later. And so, flash forward 15 years, um, I'm starting to I see Aiden, and I see my wife, and I realize the decisions that I make aren't just for me anymore, right? There are multiple choices that can be a correct answer with a different consequence, right? And so I remembered thinking about that blueprint. And I remember thinking, I need to set a blueprint for Aiden. That's why we had our conversations and you just told me, just create a savings account to save something every week. Right, create a foundational piece dedicated to Aiden. And if you start this now, you don't have to get, especially as an entrepreneur, you don't have flush cash flow all the time. But if you create systems and structure, you can be able to build. And so I use that principle from May of 2006 of, okay, my dad acknowledged that if he was able to write a blueprint, I would be successful. Let me apply that to my family. And so that was the first defining moment. There there have been others, especially mm-hmm. when you see your son hungry and realize oh, I have to find a way to feed him Man. all the time. Man. And he needs to be a sustaining model too. I thought that was just me that thought that. Man. <laughs> you, 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 it was one time I just, I was looking at it and I just start, I just start crying. You know what I'm saying? Just, just overwhelmed with, and I can't say it was not, it was not, it wasn't sadness, uh, but it wasn't happiness. It just was, 
overwhelming of responsibility. You're yeah. like, dang, like if I don't do what I got to do, this kid don't eat. Yeah. So but, I, I want to stay on that because I'm I'm newly in the entrepreneur space. I spent 20 something years in corporate, mm -hmm. was able to do some things um, that I was proud of, wasn't necessarily proud of how it impacted my family. So that's what this, my specific platform is about my journey through that process. Let's talk about the pressure of fatherhood and how it intersected with entrepreneurship, how it still intersects. <laughs> what, 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 what have you learned? What are you learning? Well, let's, let's pulse it. I'm learning that it's very hard. It's very difficult. And um, it's not sexy at all. Because high-functioning individuals, if having the choice of having a corporate job, which will give you a 401k, or 403B. Some options. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. A highly functioning individual. Some health insurance. Some health insurance. Yeah. Coverage. A predictable check. Right. <laughs> Every once or twice a month. Yeah, it clears. Um, and a reputation, right? Um, mm. That's big because the trade-off is you're representing a global brand, right? And that carries weight. You trade that off for starting something brand new and in a, in a market that is not, not conducive for any small business, right? Entrepreneurship in its, in its current form is, is fairly young. It's 200 years old, right? And it was intended to be an agitation to the status quo. So the status quo is not going to welcome you into the market space and gladly give up their share for you. Right. That's on top of being an entrepreneur. That's not counting where you are culturally or racially in the space or your purpose for entrepreneurship or your business. A lot of black owned businesses are intended to build the black community, which is also at at a bottom at a, a challenging space in our society, yeah. which is not allowing you to prosper as, let's just say, someone who's an entrepreneur who's not focusing on that, who does not have the cultural burden to not have to um, be held accountable to. And so, no, it doesn't make sense for a logical person to choose that. Yeah. <laughs> but it has to be done, and you have to find ways to do that. And your family is one. Because I tell you all of the challenges, but the pros of entrepreneurship, if you are successful, you will create generational wealth. You will create systems that can hire individuals within your family, within your network, who would typically not have that same shot in corporate America so you can build wealth together. And when, in theory, I want to say this, this is my utopian vision, right? If we're able to build these businesses and these systems in our community, that develops leaders within our families. Mm. That gives your sons and daughters um, some type of path to look for, look toward. You're at home more because you can dictate your own hours or the people around your table are on, are on payroll. So y'all family dinner could also be a checkup for, for, for the enterprise, right? That is a mindset that, that I, I learned at SMU and tried to apply that culturally so that we could scale and repeat that um, because I think it's needed in order to be a successful black entrepreneur. You have to know your place 
in the game so that you can know how to navigate. I, I, and, and I want to follow up and hit on that question because I think it's important for building black generational wealth. And this is like one of the things that I think like you have different friends in your life for different reasons. And we have different, I mean, we have good feedback in our relationship in different areas. But one thing that I've always admired uh, about you um, and, and I was around you for was just, you know, like, like, uh, I was in the wealth management, or I'm in the wealth management business. So I, you know, I learned to navigate uh, people's biases, you know, uh, well. Uh, but you, you seemed to 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 do it effortlessly. You know, SMU, TCU, the people that, and I and I and I know I know you're saying I know you're probably going, well, it's not as effortless as you think. But I'm just saying from the outside looking in, like you 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 do a phenomenal job at. Um, being pro-black, but also not being anti-white, which is what's necessary to navigate the spaces and to allow the collaborations for the for the tons of white people who want to help uh, even the playing field, right? And so I was like, you know, how how do how, how what's your plan for transferring that knowledge to the next generation? Because you're you're good at. It. I mean, you're one of the best. Is one of the big reasons that I'm attracted to, you know, uh, the essence of who you are. Well, I received that and I thank you. Um, <laughs> I wish that I could feel that it's effortless. Uh, it's not, it's very, it's very taxing. Um, but I won, and this is something once I started learning about economics and learning it's just one of many systems, right? I learned to compartmentalize my emotional feelings with that particular action. Not saying I negate it, right? That's that's a coping mechanism that has been taught um, generationally in order for us to survive, particularly once integration hit in the 60s, in which code switching um, uh, is, is the principle, right? <laughs> it's like, don't let them know what you really feel because you need your job, right? That's um, a real thing, though. That, yeah. that is. Yeah. Um, I recognize that that space is real because if your focus is survival for you and your you and your family in the capitalistic system, you have to adhere to that rule those rules of engagement. If you have your own business and you are excelling, you still have academic principles, you still have philosophical views and principles that can align with the intellectual peers of that to where you can easily have a discussion of, it could be of disc, some discord, but it is within reason, which black people do have. Um, and you can articulate that. You can be your authentic self in that space and navigate in a way that can benefit both parties. Because what we also recognize, specifically in the North Texas region, specifically in Texas, is that the demographics are changing. And when demographics change, the economy has the opportunity to change, especially at the state of Texas. If you're a taxpaying um, citizen, you have rights on how that tax dollars can be spent. And so the systems understand that. Um, they also understand that that's more of a 30 to 50 year play or 50 year strategy rather than a knee jerk reaction to things. And so having people within our community, within our culture, providing that institutional knowledge 
is important for people who don't have the bandwidth, who's in corporate America, who's just trying to make sure his family or her family are safe to at least have some knowledge to say, okay, I have a reason to continue to do this. Or let me use a portion of my knowledge or a portion of my resources to invest directly into this network uh, that directly impacts the black economy. Right. We just need we just need to devise a plan. We ha we've had the vision. All of us have barbershop talk for generations. Right. Um, the real work is just like an entrepreneur. It's the actions that you do. All right. We're going to take a break right here and hear from some of the people that support this podcast financially. If you're interested in supporting this podcast financially, there's some information in the description below. We'd love to have uh, your interest, but we're going to come back and we're going to get into how traditional education intersects or supports or plays into wealth creation and preservation. We'll be right black. Do I want to make more? Yeah. Am I not making more because of limited thinking? Of course. Or I'll be making, right? Then you realize, yeah, I'm never going to stop wanting to expand. I'm always going to want to expand. So beating yourself up on like your current limitations doesn't make any sense. This episode is sponsored by the Wealth Building Made Simple podcast available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, YouTube, and every other major podcasting platform. All right, welcome back to the show. Uh, we want to uh, resume the conversation. We were talking about education Traditional education, there's a quote that I like, uh, and I probably post it once a year, it says, never let schooling interfere with your education. Mm, that's and good. And it resonates a lot more in life now, off camera, we're having a bit of a discussion about, <laughs> about our collegiate pursuits. And I used to say I, I would gladly trade in my, my degree, right? If I could get a refund on my degree, I would, but somewhat in jest, because I realized that all of that has shaped who I am today and how I mm -hmm. process things. I think traditional education is a great way to understand how to process information, right? And if you could take that skill set and apply it elsewhere, you could probably have a more lucrative or more rewarding life than studying and getting an A for getting an A's sake. But um, let's talk about your, your thoughts on how traditional education plays into wealth development, wealth management. As you mentioned, you are a professor. Right. In a traditional institution, by the way. Um, I think that's really interesting. I agree. Um, we have trained and, and taught kids for generations, at, at least 120 years or so, since 1905 or so, mm. that um, that's a pipeline to in the industrialized success, right? Right. You if you if you get these core principles from K through twelve, and you can go to college, um, based on the reputation of that institution, it'll create a certain pipeline for you to gain um, occupation, which can allow you to build wealth. Right. That is a traditional model that works for a group of people, or from a macro standpoint. What we don't teach is that that's not the only reason, that's not the only route, um, or that that's just one aspect of how you can better society, right? Uh, traditionally, the family, we'll go back to the family, is the bedrock of education, right? The mother is self-teaching the toddler 
um, at general, the father's helping. And I can actively say we're just being a cis man. We're being wingmen in this, <laughs> in, the, in that process. And then I'm seeing the evolution uh, in my role as I can start teach, as he develops and he starts creating personality, he starts seeing and observing my actions and reacting to that or mimicking them. And I'm guiding and teaching them how to do that, right? That's a form of education that we're not teaching people. Um, and so um, I would challenge you on what how people view traditional education because my experience with particularly in undergraduate and graduate school wasn't stemmed in getting the best grades as much as it is as it was get putting me in an environment that allowed my creativity to prosper now i had i also had an assignment my assignment was to be the best me i can so that i can figure out ways to build economies and build systems of whom I care about. I care about education. I care about Dallas. I care about my community. I care about building things like that. I identified SMU as a key institution that can help me get to that goal. And they have the academic rigor that can develop me intellectually at the same time. And so that was my thought process as I was going into uh, going to class because I wasn't the smartest student. Like my goal, I've never been an achiever like that. I was always someone who liked to grasp concepts, make sure I know them and build teams and collaborate with people or network with people to gain other knowledge. Because I do firmly believe that education isn't just what's in a book. It's how that book can allow you to be successful in whatever whatever challenge that you have in front of you. And SMU is a different institution than the University of Texas, in which it is accredited academically. There are certain systems and programs that can give you that prestige to go to a professional school, UT Law School, things of that nature, right? My school allowed me to realize there's opportunity here. I'm smart enough, right? And being smart enough means that was proven in some of the academics that I did through K through 12. Um, but it was an incubator to allow me to prosper and kind of be the individual holistically that I can be. And so I try to teach that to my college students at UNT Dallas, right? It's a traditional college, traditional institution, which is the only um, public school public college or university that's in the city limits of Dallas, um, which is significant um, because um, legislatures and representatives from the community advocated for that higher ed institution because of the need of building a workforce to better Dallas, mm. right? There, it's a, it's a principle that can be applied to society, right? And those types of concepts need to be understood by students who are in those classrooms so that they can understand how they can use what they're learning from these professors or from books to better their families or better their situations. And so I try to, I don't want to re-educate people, but that's my lens when I teach because the traditional university, um, the traditional university um, um, plan is becoming obsolete. There are micro degrees now. 
There's YouTube. YouTube <laughs> changed the game. The YouTube twenty years ago, yo, like man, it's crazy. That's right? the that's the repository for all knowledge, good or bad, right? And so, and it also created a playing a level playing field where people have to hold themselves accountable, right? So you can't just say this is the truth. That well, is it? Because I have four or five different reputable sources that says it's not and it's easily accessible how does um how do not ask you to speak for all professors but i'm sure you communicate converse with other professors mm -hmm. what, what how do you feel about platforms like youtube that provide a very concentrated piece of information maybe in a field of study or like there are no prerequisites on YouTube. <laughs> you can kind of go right to, I want to know about this piece of information, but sometimes traditional schooling suggests that you're not ready for this information if you haven't matriculated through 101, 201, you know, the, the, the buildup of the courses, the related courses. Well, the university system is a community as well, right? I, and me being an entrepreneur, an entrepreneurship professor, we, we've, we've stated the definition, what an entrepreneur is, that applies in the academic space too. So I have a different thought process gotcha. than a traditional person in academia, which is actually welcomed in the space because these are all higher level thinking individuals who are mavens in their, in their field who also understand the common need to invest in younger people to acquire degrees, right? Especially at the undergraduate level. You have a lens uh, of professors who, one, are recognize that technology is just integrated into the academy currently. There's no stopping it. YouTube was the the complaint of the month until AI entered last November, right? <laughs> and, so, and so, I mean, pe people are writing papers, right? Uh, oh, are they? Are people? Oh, are they? <laughs> people, uh, without, they're not, they're miss, uh, they need to, uh, well, see, connotating chat GPT is a, as a reference now is like something that needs to become a policy. Citing right? source. Citing source, <laughs> chat GPT, not pay a 65 a year, that'll help you. Get a degree, right? All that being said, that that is a miseducation piece that we have told society of what college is. Mm -hmm. The university is a space of higher learning, not of higher book knowing. Mm. Higher learning can mean understanding a new culture and being able to apply your new knowledge into an old concept to create a new thing. It's an incubator for individuals that are young or young at heart to explore ways to better society in a space that doesn't provide negative consequences financially, um, economically, socially, because this this construct is thrived, is thr thrives in in create in creativity, and so I go back to our discussion. Culturally, we were taught that we need to go to college, get a good job. And that's something we need to address as a culture because that's not consistent with how our children are being reared and being raised outside of our households yeah. because the knowledge is 
around and we have to combat, we have to provide data to support why going to traditionally educational opportunities has value, is value. And the value is, is, is networking and, and building. Like I like what you said about university being about te- helping you process knowledge, right? And then you saying it's higher learning. And then the, the thought made me think about, and again, we probably had this conversation where, you know, how do you feel about college being like, I think about the, you know, we all come in with like limited mindsets based on our environment. And then you put all these kids together at 18 with all limited mindsets, but then they open each other up over a four, you know, like you meet somebody and you go, oh, this is my perspective on this. And you go, I never thought. So then after four years, you get like a bunch of different perspectives that opens you up and takes you down different paths like that, that we wouldn't have went down, you know, had I just stayed in my small town. So, I mean, what, you know, what's your thought on, on that as being a really good benefit for college? Well, I think it is a big, it's a huge benefit. Um, you're not just developing academically in college, right? You said it. You're throwing in a bunch of 18-year-olds who are trying to figure out life without (laughs) parental control, right? And so there's a lot of development, for better or for worse, socially, that happens at the university, um, culturally, right? This allows you, what you were taught um, from your from your childhood will be challenged daily, right? It can either be reinforced or you can kind of change some things up, right? I dealt with that every semester um, during my undergraduate um, journey. And I experienced that in grad school from a different perspective in terms of still understanding key concepts because remember, the college and university is still foundational in education. It's just not, and it shouldn't be interpreted as, for me or for my personality type, it shouldn't be interpreted as you just have to do certain things and have to um, stay focused in order to to thrive. That works for some, and there are there are definitely examples of that. But for me and for people who are entrepreneurial in, in nature, who wants to create innovative ways, that needs to be coupled um, with understanding the different other aspects of the university system, because that will then provide value in the current marketplace, because you can't get that in YouTube. You can't get those types of relationships because business is still a very relational type construct um, it's losing its traditional grip on having to be face-to-face all the time, and it is being augmented by technology and AI. But the foundation is still understanding and trust that the value that you have can be transferred to someone else of equal or greater value. So we're talking about black wealth, um, and right? And so you, you mentioned systems, right? So you have like the traditional system which I've learned, at least it's helped my, my, my mental state stay positive around it. I've learned that the system in and of itself is not malicious or the intent of it was not to be malicious. It's just if you create a, like if you create a, if a, 
if you create an algorithm or we were watching a game show uh it's a game show around uh the the, fam the the famous people you know that you you get on because uh somebody who you know is famous i forget what it's called but the jonas brothers brothers created it kelly got me watching it so like so like you watch the game show and uh if you don't if you're not from white culture uh and they're giving you clues about who their famous person is in the 70s you're like I don't know who I don't know I don't know those people. It's culturally biased. Yeah, and the white people don't know the uh they didn't know who J. B. Smooth was, right? We did. So I'm saying, so you get a system that was set up by just the limited perspective, right? So of course it's gonna be biased to people that don't come from that perspective. And so I'm saying that to say, uh, so that's like that's the world we live in where uh industrial age a hundred years ago it was set up from a limited perspective where we just didn't have a big voice in it fine like not inherently bad it, it is what it is so i'm saying it, i'm laying it out to say how much do you think entrepreneurship is the way out for african-americans because entrepreneurship inherently is a mindset of not f the system but like like i'm i'm gonna create a new system either within or outside the system because that's because playing by the rules of the system is going to like be an uphill hill battle. It's, it's big buck the system energy. Yeah, yeah. for sure. What, what, <laughs> well, yeah, it's because it's it's contrarian in nature, right? I would like to answer that this way: entrepreneurship for Black culture specifically is an option that can yield the highest generational wealth but has no safety net it has the biggest risk i don't want to negate african americans utilizing the traditional system because i hear what you're saying i don't agree with it all but i agree i've seen enough data to see that there are dual their dual rights in this space, particularly with our culture being able to adapt, a culture that historically we were intended to not benefit from at all. Mm -hmm. So that's that's where my rub is. My mm -hmm. rub is, no, the system was created by people who believed that we were inferior. Yeah. And if you so I can't let them off the hook by saying 400 years later, when you created our current educational system, it was just theoretical. Mm -hmm. Because there has not been significant change in their thought process from their thoughts and from the 15th century or 16th century that the black race is inferior to European races or other, any other races. They have not made corrections in the academy to negate that right. so that mm. they can get off the hook in the 1900s. Right. That's just my, that's my view. No, no, respect, yeah, respect. But with that being said, yeah. we have survived through that time. So there is no, you should also use that as a reason, not as an excuse. So when you prosper as an African-American in a corporate setting, understand there needs to be some type of investment paid to your community through your family so that you can reinforce other African-Americans to either exist within a system that can maintain their authentic selves and still support their family or create an entrepreneurial space 
that can give a bit more safety for the next generation so that they won't have an absolute, you know, yeah, uh, uh, disaster if they fail. The, the, yeah, and and I want to clarify for my for my for my radical homies out there. <laughs> I think very much like you watch the mob boss movies. Mm-hmm. I think like a mob boss. I go, I got a problem. I got two ways to solve it. I kill you, right? Or I go a different path. That's what I'm saying. I'm saying, for for me with the system, I'm saying, yeah, like they were racist. Their perspective a hundred years ago, they were racist. But it's going. So am I going to kill them? No. Right? Yeah, you can't. Lord, that doesn't yeah. make. Yeah, it doesn't yield. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no. Yeah, no. That we're, doesn't. Well, one, that's counterproductive. Yeah, it's, it's, it's violence. Doesn't. Yeah. It's, there's no end to violence, right? So, 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 so you answered it though. It's more. It's more creating a new path and saying, right. Well, you have to, especially. Yeah. I'm a father now. Yeah. So I don't want. I don't want Aiden to have that type of hate in his heart like that. Yeah. Or I don't want him to face the consequence of my action that I do today. Because that's another biblical principle mm-hmm. that whatever actions that you make, <laughs> your kids and your kids' kids will 100%, feel it. Yeah, yeah. That's um been a, been a very enlightening conversation for me, um, and I'm sure for the audience as well. As we wind down, let's let's talk practically and transparently about entrepreneurship and family. Um, somebody's going to sacrifice. Everyone's going <laughs> to sacrifice. Well, there you have it. Do you, if you don't, if you're open to talking about the dynamics of the sacrifices in your household and just as a man and now as a father, any guilt potentially associated with you taking this path that has the biggest upside, like you said, but sometimes immediately the money doesn't reflect the effort mm-hmm. immediately, at least in my, yeah. <laughs> my no, short lived career. No. Um, well, I, I would love to share my perspective on on this, and will be very transparent. Um, but note, but note, baby, I am not speaking for you, right? Because <laughs> she has a perspective as well that is as valid. And um, my thoughts, though I would, I've shared it with her. Um, I think uh, in order for us to change our family dynamics in this generation, that has to be said in this space because we silenced black women specifically a lot, um, mostly in our society, and this is their season, right? I say that because she also agreed to the chaos (laughs) that's Matt Houston in this space. Um, And by her acknowledging and coming to this camp, that gives me one comfort that uh, and 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 awareness that she knows the risks or potential uh, opportunities, right? With that being said, it's very difficult. It's very hard because as an entrepreneur, the misnomer is you're your own boss, <laughs> but the reality is you are a servant. You are everyone else is your boss. And you have no accountability or no systems to support your operational um, space. You don't have HR or you don't have a COO to say, here's this document, just follow, just do your things and do that. You have to create that document. You're living it. You're living it. So it's as an entrepreneur, you're, you're not being a great executive. 
you're being a CEO with all of the stress and none of the compensation. <laughs> and it's, it's so I, I, it's my responsibility to at least share that to people that um, you're not your own boss, boo. Like you have to hold yourself accountable and that's difficult, particularly when you have an 18 month old mm. who is not being compliant, <laughs> right? <laughs> who, and you have other family drama, you have to be a supportive husband, partner, that takes away from your work. And that's going to have some impact. I say all of that to say, there needs to be structures in place that whenever those times hit, you can kind of avoid it. Now, I know this sounds like doomsday for entrepreneurship, but entrepreneurs are also dreamers. Everyone should not be an entrepreneur because you have to think and you have to think of that long play and you have to be able to articulate that long play so that there's buy-in within your family so that you all can withstand it. And that's challenging in itself. I love your perspective on entrepreneurship, though, within the the, the academic system. Mm -hmm. Because, I mean, how, how do you feel about even if you work for a system, can you still be an entrepreneur, like, work from a mindset perspective, right? You know, can you still be an entrepreneur within a system because existing systems also, because if you have a 120-year university, they had to have evolved mm -hmm. every 40 years to still be around, right? So the answer is yes. And and from a corporate setting, they call that entrepreneurs, mm. right? You see, I think AT&T, there are a lot of the large tele, uh, telecommunications firms created these spaces so that they can welcome entrepreneurial-minded corporate individuals to essentially be R&D, to create, innovate some ways so that it can be scaled within their corporate structure uh, worldwide, right? So the answer, I believe that that can happen um, from a micro space, again, there's the duality is a misnomer, right? You mm. can, I'm not saying you could be great at an, being an employee and an entrepreneur. That's false. <laughs> the principle is whatever energy you put in toward, that's what you're going to be great at, yeah. right? I've heard that from leaders all over. Mayors have told me that. Successful entrepreneurs have told me that. But if you have to, you have to, an entrepreneur must know how to delegate their time and be able to know, okay, I have to go 40 in my work at 100%, 40% of the time, because my family and this entrepreneurial venture I'm trying to create needs to also go. And then in the next year, I may need to change the distribution of. It just has to be systems, and entrepreneurs just need to be disciplined to create and follow through on those systems. Similar to financial, being financially uh, responsible. Yeah. Which that's why we need people like yourself. Yeah, no, that's good, man. I like that. I, I just have one um, last selfish question. Um, which one more informs the other? Does entrepreneurship make you a better father? Or does being a father make you a better entrepreneur? Oh, no, being a father makes me a better person. 
Yeah. So no, it's definitely fatherhood. It's definitely family. Being my role in the family has improved me because it's given me a perspective of an 80 year old mother, an 18 month old, and my wife. Like I have to look in their lenses in every decision that I make. And so that in itself is better. Now, is that is being better good? Yeah, we don't know. It depends. <laughs> right. right? <laughs> but it, it, that there's no debate, right? Being a father, being a husband, and being a member of my family enhances everything that I do. Dope, dope, dope. Mm-hmm. I like that. Yeah, before we close, man, it uh a little birdie told me a little birdie named Matt Houston. <laughs> it said that uh you're starting a podcast as well. Yes. Talk yes. About that. I actually started it last month. Okay. Um, we have an, an episode dropping um, bi-weekly. Uh, and so it's the Collaborative Culture po- Podcast. If you go to YouTube, to Collaborative Culture LLC, subscribe um, and listen to our first two guests. We had Harrison Blair, president of the Dallas Black Chamber. Had a conversation with him before his trade mission trip to Africa. He went to three Mm. countries in Africa, South Africa, Ghana, and Nigeria um, to promote um, cross uh, Pan-African economic development. And then we had Charles O'Neill, who's the chair of the U.S. Black Chambers, Inc., um, who's also the OG um, and, and been a mentor of mine, a colleague of my father's, a father in the Dallas Black Chamber space, just to drop knowledge on the importance of culture and being ac- advocates for economic development in our community. Dope, dope, dope. I definitely have to tap in on, on that because I'm I'm actually planning the trip to Africa, Africa, hashtag Africa 2024. I want to do at least two countries, most likely Ghana and Liberia. Okay. I also want to see Malawi, Tanzania, and Mozambique, but that's kind of yeah, that's on the other <laughs> side. side, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, so I, I uh, hopefully um, that could be you could provide some insight or tap me into somebody that can provide some insight for that, man. Cool, cool. No, I definitely get you connected. Anything else? You already said. I think you shout out your wife. You shout out Aiden. Uh, what's left? What's going on with you, brother? Oh man, I'm 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 just happy to have a conversation. This this is good, man. I, I I've had I had to hold back like twenty questions because I was like, we can't be doing this for three hours. We just, we just ain't talked in a long time. So yeah, I gotta, yeah, yeah. So I appreciate it. this is therapeutic for me, man. The 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 principle of having wealth building in family is a very powerful yeah. tool. So thank yeah. you both for 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 creating and curating this space. Yep, show me a successful man with a fractured family. I'll wait. It's no such thing. I think that's going to do it. The first episode is in the books, The Wealth Blueprint. Um, whatever platform you're watching this on, make sure this is not by happenstance. So make sure that you like, share, subscribe, leave a comment. Let the platform know that you find this content valuable so that they'll send it to other people like you that might find this content valuable. If this content is not for you, it is also for you to share. So it's still for <laughs> you in some sense, but uh, that's going to wrap it up. Matt, uh, Philip, man, I think this is a, a great uh, baseline for what we're trying to do here. And that's going to do it. We appreciate you guys. God bless you. Peace. Thanks. Peace. Appreciate y'all.